the Ortho PAC hosted by Sam Dyer. Welcome to the Ortho PAC where we discuss up-to-date orthopedic topics for the busy clinician. I invite you to sit back and relax as I attempt to fill in the gaps between education, current events, and real-world practice. Today's guest is Dr. Marks, an adjunct professor in the Department of Psychiatry and Family Medicine at Duke University Medical Center. Welcome, Dr. Marks. Thank you. I'm happy to uh, be talking with you today. Yeah, great to have you. Dr. Marks is a psychiatrist and specializes in pain management and works in a, in my orthopedic practice, actually. That's how I know Dr. Marks. Dr. Marks, the reason I wanted to have you today was to hopefully you could tell us a little bit about your practice and explain to our listeners what it is you do in clinical practice as a psychiatrist and managing pain. As you say, as a psychiatrist with predominantly a pain medicine practice, my practice is always uh, centered around treating the more complicated pain patients, those with psychiatric comorbidities, which might include patients with sensor, central sensitization like fibromyalgia, and just also those types of pain patients who required more than the usual time and attention in order to optimize the success of their pain management program, which often would include uh, an opioid trial. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it evolved some over the years in what I do, especially with the shift back and forth with the regulatory environment and the emphasis on are we under-treating pain, are we prescribing too many opioids, you know, the things that, as you know, we've all been subject to and in, in as the pendulum has swung back and forth. Mm-hmm. By and large, my practice has always been treating the, the complex pain patient either by virtue of psychiatric comorbidities or a history of addiction or other types of aberrancy or just patients who for some reason or, or another, um, fit into my model, which mm-hmm. includes spending a lot of time with patients, doing a really thorough social history and risk stratification and th- those types of things. Sure. So that kind of segues us into my first question for you. And is there a standard definition of chronic pain versus acute pain? Is it a time frame? I, I kind of think it's a gray area and it's the individual provider thinks about it, but is there a guideline that we can go by with that? And the reason why I'm going over that is when do we stop treating pain and when do we refer it to someone who can deal with more chronic issue? I guess I would say that conceptually chronic pain is has been considered pain that persists past the normal healing time. Now at that point, the pain is not designed to uh, warn impending tissue damage, which is the premise of pain in the first place, I suppose. Essentially, after normal nociception has uh, returned, if a patient still has pain, then we tend to think of that as chronic pain. And in terms of time frame, you'll hear different definitions, three months, six months. But you know, by and large, chronic pain is, is the, the pain that we know of that continues long after the injury is healed or, or the post-op period is, is essentially over. Mm-hmm. As you know, it's a pretty frequent condition. It's probably something like 20% of people worldwide, maybe 20% of, of visits to clinicians relate to some type of chronic pain condition. Sure. Absolutely. And in orthopedics, obviously, there is a lot of people that have pain. So it's just part of the game. And unfortunately, people still have pain and we have to have resources to help treat them. It's very difficult to do that as an individual clinician with all of the political environment, the way things are these days. So I'm really glad that we have you on to talk about things. Yeah, my pleasure. And, you know, in in your practice, I imagine you do see a lot of people that have pain for 
three to six months, maybe they're post-op or you saw them in urgent care and they have an injury that is essentially healed. Mm -hmm. uh, interestingly, in my world, I tend to see people that have had pain for years. And it, it, so that it's interesting that you bring up the definition. But uh, I imagine for uh, if your listeners are largely ortho PAs, then they may want to put a lot of thought into, is this now entering the chronic pain realm versus treating an acute pain syndrome? PAOS is a national organization, and not everybody's in an urban area, or if they are, you know, smaller area, small practice and rural practice. So what happens if they don't have a Dr. Marks? If the state regs allow the PA or NP to manage the chronic pain, what's the best practice that you can have on file? Like, I mean, you know, pain contracts, urine drug screens, referral to community resources, what's available and what's the best way to set this up? Well, so now you're talking in a sense about a how-to in pain medicine. Mm -hmm. I think that's great. I think that's important. I think it's it's also I, I also want to emphasize that people should stay in their comfort zone, and 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 I'm not trying to disparage clinicians who do not want to manage patients with opioids, nor am I trying to disparage clinicians who feel like you know no patient in their practice should be on both an opioid and a benzodiazepine. I mean that's all individual, it's all based on what your comfort level is. Now, you know, obviously you increase your comfort level by experience and training. And I guess I would point people who wanted a basic education on pain medicine to some of the even earlier publications. There was a couple publications about the four A's of pain medicine. I want to say that was from Steve Pasick, P-A-S-S-I-K. But, but he wrote a lot about the four A's of pain medicine. And, and this was before the opioid epidemic per se, but I've always made sure that if I'm giving talks that I show slides on the four A's of pain medicine, because it's, I feel like if you're paying attention to the four A's of pain medicine, you're practicing pretty good pain medicine and certainly within the standards of care. But, but for the listeners who are not familiar with that, the four A's are essentially analgesia, activities, adverse effects and aberrancies. And sometimes you're seeing people write about a fifth A, affect, which I, I never quite thought that that was necessary. But, you know, that first day is analgesia. Well, obviously, if you're going to be prescribing opioids, you want to know if they're effective, if they're actually promoting analgesia. And typically, we would do this with some type of numerical pain scale score. You're familiar with that, I'm sure. And we, mm -hmm. you know, there are instruments that are used. Sometimes patients are filling out a brief pain inventory or a peg scale or something like that. And they, they tend to rate their pain with the medication and without the medication. And I guess quite reductionistically, if, if the pain number is better with the medication without, then you're saying that there's analgesia. I, I tend to be a more elaborate. And, and again, this is why I spend more time with patients than I think the average clinician. But I like to know, you know, what number pain can you get to at best? And what number would you call it day to day? And you know, what number can you get to? What number are you at worst? And under what conditions does that happen? And, uh, you know, because I'm really focusing on analgesia. And you know, sometimes I'll see maybe a patient's numbers, numbers don't change, but, you know, the amount they can do before they get to that certain number is, is improved. Like maybe they can uh, walk, you know, six blocks, or maybe they can, you know, shop at Walmart for 45 minutes before they get to a seven out of 10 and have to stop. And so those are all important things to look for when you're when you're trying to quantify analgesia and it brings me to that next a which is activities you're trying to figure out is is there functional improvement 
by virtue of being on this opioid. And so, again, I tie it a lot into my numbers, but I like to know how, how functional can the person be because all fine and good if a person reports better numbers with their opioid. But I think the party line has been that you really want to see some functional improvement to justify an opioid um, opioid maintenance plan. The third A, you know, adverse effects, you know, that's pretty straightforward, but, you know, opioids, as you know, cause constipation, pruritus, uh, you know, lots of different side effects. And the one that, of course, unfortunately, we hear a lot about are that they um, suppress respiration. And obviously, if a person takes too much or if somebody who is not tolerant to it, like maybe somebody that gets it through diversion and is not normally prescribed that opioid takes it, then they can certainly die as the, the medication suppresses their respiration. But more in a clinical setting, you know, we're, we're trying to look at things like constipation, pruritus, and sedation. You know, we talk a lot about if, if with any dose changes, you want to make sure that uh, you're taking it maybe on the weekend when you're not going into work or not driving or operating any machinery if you just had a dose change, you know, things like that. And then that fourth A, which, you know, we spend a lot of time on, is aberrancies, you know, aberrant behaviors. And, you know, those are those behaviors like, well, Doc, you know, I, I accidentally spilled half my bottle on the sink or, you know, my uh, my bottle got stolen because I had a plumber come into my house or, you know, I left them on the dashboard of my car and somebody stole them or, well, Doc, I know you only told me to take three a day, but, you know, my paint wasn't doing well, so I really needed to take six a day. You know, those are aberrant behaviors and not all aberrant behaviors are created equal. Some of them are more predictive of an abuse or addiction picture uh, than others. And honestly, you know, we could talk for hours just about aberrant behaviors, but, you know, what the premise is in, in, uh, in pain medicine is that, you know, you're following analgesia, activities, adverse effects, and aberrancies. And to continue a patient on an opioid, you have to feel like there is improvement in pain or analgesia, improvement in functionality and activities, the adverse effects are tolerable, and that if there are any aberrancies that they're dealt with and that, that they don't, that the aberrant behaviors are not creating a situation where the risks outweigh the benefits. And of course, nowadays, we obviously know that the risks include the risks to the community, not just to the individual patient. Now, if you're paying attention to those four things, then I think you're practicing good pain medicine. And aberrancies, for example, does include things like checking the prescription monitoring program, maybe doing pill counts, uh, doing urine toxicology, you know, the things that have just become standard of care. So obviously there's a lot of logistics involved for practicing pain medicine. But if you always keep those four A's in mind, you'll be practicing um, appropriate pain medicine. You know, there's a few other standards of care that have emerged. I brought up risk stratification as important. If you're prescribing opioids, in a, you know, if, if you're embarking on a on an opioid treatment plan with a chronic pain patient, and you haven't thought about and documented some level of, of stratifying their risk, then, you know, that's a little bit of a problem. You mentioned opioid treatment agreements. That's a evolving standard of care. But at this point, there is data to support that if you have the patient sign, read and sign a document that just sets forth the expectations. I mean, it's not some kind of a legal contract, but it it essentially teaches the patient what you ex expect from them, that they're not going to have another prescriber of these drugs. They're going to have one pharmacy. 
that that they're not going to take it in a way that's different than what you've expected, that they're not to use drugs or drink alcohol. Uh, you know, in some some situations, we might allow patients to drink alcohol in small amounts. But, you know, the specifics are less relevant that, that you have some type of op- opioid treatment agreement, and that's become a standard of care. The concept that that opioids are not really a first-line treatment for any pain condition and that you want to try to distinguish nociceptive pain from neuropathic pain, from central sensitization pain like fibromyalgia, uh, you know, that's obviously an important part of practicing pain medicine. And, you know, I'm, I'm kind of really getting into the nitty-gritty. Um, I wish there was a, a specific text that I could recommend, but I think those are the concepts that I think the prudent pain provider pays attention to. And uh, again, the four A's, uh, I, I would make sure everybody's aware of that. I, I think that it would be useful for people to have un, have read the the CDC guidelines for prescribing opioids for chronic pain. Again, those came out in 2016. And, you know, it's a pretty educational document in addition to, you know, setting some standards of care. I think if somebody had an interest in this topic, I think that's where I would start. And, and I would, I, I would, really guide people to those types of concepts in terms of understanding the practice of pain medicine. Doctor, I appreciate your time today. This is all great stuff. Uh, I can't wait to hear this on the air. Well, that makes two of us. I'll be happy to, to listen to it. And if you have any other comments or questions, or if you get any feedback from listeners and they want more information, then you know where to find me, Sam. Absolutely. Dr. Marks, thank you for your time. My pleasure. Thank you for joining the OrthoPAC podcast. Please follow the Physician Assistance in Orthopedic Surgery on social media. Connect with us on Facebook, Instagram, LinkedIn, and Twitter. Please subscribe to our podcast. If this has been helpful, please take a moment to leave a review.